Mark chapter 8 verse 1 says, In those days, the multitude being very great, having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away, fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. I think um, I would have enjoyed being one of the multitudes fed by Jesus because he always seemed to be feeding them fish and bread, which are two of my favorite food groups. The tempting part of this passage is to focus on the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000, and truly that was a miracle. Seven loaves of bread, and Jesus was able to satisfy 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. And then there were a few fishes, and when we're talking fishes, we're not talking catfish. All right, we're talking sardines. Okay, so he had a few sardines, and, and there, there were plenty of those to go along. And so, you know, there, it's tempting to focus in on the miracle of that. But to do so, it missed the reason for the miracle. What was the motivation of Jesus in feeding this 4,000? He's already fed the 5,000. Now we're feeding the 4,000. Mark in this gospel is telling us who Jesus is by showing us what Jesus did. The miracles of Christ show that Christ is God in the flesh, the divine Son of God. When Mark records a miracle that Jesus did, Mark is showing us that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. When Mark records the teachings of Jesus, he records the wisdom of God indwelt in his only begotten Son. And when Mark shows Jesus ministering and healing and helping people, he's showing us the compassion of Christ. And that's what I want to focus in on this morning. In verse 2, Jesus said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. When Jesus looked out on the multitude, he had compassion on them. He was moved with compassion. Matthew chapter 9 said, in seeing the multitudes, he was moved with compassion upon them. Because they were scattered as sheep that had no shepherd. Our Lord and Savior looked at his people. He looked at the people that followed him. He looked at the people in towns that he went to. And when he saw them and he saw people who were, who were following a ritualistic, legalistic tradition. He saw people who had rejected the tradition and instead had opted to live a lifestyle of sin. And had been destroyed by that sin. He saw people that were caught in the middle of all that. And instead of looking upon that with disgust at the ignorance of mankind, and mankind is full of a lot of ignorance, he had compassion because he understood where they were. The Lord had compassion on this multitude. He was moved with compassion. He felt sorry for them. His heart went out to them because for three days they had not eaten. In our day, we get to go through the McDonald's drive-thru. You might have better taste than me. 
and you might go through a better drive-thru and I go through and that's okay. I was watching a TV show where a man was brought from the past into modern times and he got a taco at Taco Bell. He said, I got this in three minutes at the drive-thru at Taco Bell. What do you people do all day? The time was that you spent all day preparing your meal, gathering what you needed for the meal, obtaining the, the ingredients, going out and hunting, farming it, cultivating it, harvesting it. These people that had been following Jesus for three days, they weren't just driving past McDonald's drive throughs They were foregoing the preparation of their next meal. They were foregoing the necessary steps of their survival. And they followed Jesus for three days, and he sees them, and he's moved with compassion. They need food. We need to they've been following me. I need to take care of them. He was compassionate. The Lord had compassion on the multitude. And he has compassion on us for three reasons. One, because he's been there. You think Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry out in the wilderness? Bible tells us he did, right? Matthew chapter 4. He's been there. The Lord has compassion on us because he sees our needs. He looked out and he saw the hunger of the multitudes. He saw their need. He had compassion. And one of the things that Jesus says is they've now been with me three days. It's not lost on him that for three days this multitude of people were following him, learning from him, waiting to be healed by him. He saw their faith. So he had compassion on them. The Lord had compassion on them and the Lord has compassion on us for those three reasons. He's been there. He sees our needs. He sees our faith. Christ has compassion. Because he's been there. Everything that we experience in this life, the Lord has experienced. He's experienced it, and he's he understands the pain. He's been there. In Mark chapter 8, the people have spent three days in the wilderness to hear Jesus preach and to be healed. For three days, the people have had no food. Do you ever go three days without food? I went three hours once. But no, you ever go, with, I mean, have you ever skipped lunch? And, and, you know, you just got busy at work, you got busy doing whatever you got to, and you get to the end of the day, and you feel drained, and you, that, that hollow feeling inside, and you're kind of shaky in your hands. You ever done that? All right, now do that for three days. Imagine what that would feel like. That's where these people are. They haven't eaten for three days. And unlike the Israelites in the, uh, in, in the wilderness coming out of Egypt, they weren't complaining. They weren't murmuring. They're... They didn't come to Jesus and say, hey, what are you going to give us to eat? No, they're not complaining. They're not murmuring, but they're out there. They're hungry. He sees it. He sees their hunger. And he knows what it's like to be hungry. Because as we learn in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days, he didn't eat for 40 days. And the Bible tells us that after 40 days, he was hungered. He was, un the King James Version says, he was unhungered. All right? He was as we would say growing up, hungry, all right? I mean, he was, he was hungry. He was malnourished. He knew what it was like to feel what they felt. And there's something interesting that happens here. In Mark chapter 8, when Jesus sees the multitude, they've been without food three days and they're hungry. He has compassion on them and he feeds them. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus himself is out in the wilderness and he's hungry 40 days Satan comes to him and says, feed yourself miraculously. Turn these stones into bread. Did Jesus do that? No. He did for the multitudes 
what he didn't even do for himself. That's the compassion of Christ. And he was moved with compassion because I'm sure as he sees them and he sees that they're hungry, I'm sure that he knows what that feels like. He knew how that felt. He had lived the human experience. And so he was moved with compassion because he had felt what they were feeling. And that's Christ. That's Jesus. Anything you're going through right now, he has felt it. He understands it. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 through 16 says that we have not a high priest that cannot be, that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted or tested like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that, he may that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Just as Christ understood their hunger from personal experience, he understands our pain from personal experience. Does Jesus know what it's like to put an ATM card into the ATM machine and have the machine tell you insufficient funds? Now, he's never put an ATM card in an ATM machine, has he? No. Does Jesus know what it's like to travel without money? No. Yes. Does Jesus know what it's like to go through a divorce? Does Jesus know what it's like to be rejected and to be betrayed? Yes, he does. Rejection, betrayal, bereavement. The Lord knows what bereavement and what grief feels like. You think in John chapter 11 there was Lazarus. And you say, well, Leland, that's kind of cheating because he brought Lazarus back. Let me ask you a question. When you read about the life of Jesus and Jesus' family shows up, Mary and James and all of his brothers and sisters, who doesn't get mentioned? Joseph. Joseph. Where was Joseph? Mary. More than likely. We, we, we believe that he had passed away. It, now, Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, but he was his earthly father. The Lord knows what it's like to have a parent pass away. And the Lord had eternal perspective on that. This is true, but he understands the grief. He understands the funeral planning. He understands the ministering to relatives and loved ones. He understands poverty. You ever worked a 16-hour day that just would not end? Right? You think Jesus understands what it's like to work a 16-hour day that just won't end? He worked as a carpenter before he, met his, before he started his ministry. When you see him in the ministry, he's constantly trying to get away from the multitudes because he just needs to go rest somewhere, and they always seem to find him. Right? He understands what it's like to be tired. He's gone through everything that we've gone through. He experienced it. He understands it. And he understands our weakness in it. And he understood that if he just sent those multitudes home, guys, there's no more preaching or healing today. Y'all go home, get you something to eat. He understood that a significant number of those people would not have made it home. He understood their physical weakness. He understands our physical weakness. He understands our spiritual weakness. He, yes, he knows what it's like to have a loved one pass away. He knows what it's like to have a best friend pass away. He knows what it's like to have somebody betray him, to reject him, to walk with him no more, to have people turn their backs on him and walk away. He knows what it's like to not even be able to afford to stay a night at the Classic Inn. 
okay, or if you're in Brownwood, the luxury inn, the $35 hotel room. He understands what it's like to not even be able to afford that room. He told the rich young ruler, he told the one man, not the rich young ruler, but he told the one man, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head, all right? Jesus was sleeping at rest stops. He understands poverty. He understands all that. But he also understands that we have certain weaknesses and that we don't have that spiritual indwelling that he had. He understands that it's harder on us. He understands he's been there. He's experienced it. And so he has compassion on us and he gives us grace. He understands he continues to love us. He continues to bear with us. He continues to work with us. Even when we are having our mental, psychological, and emotional breakdowns. He understands. He stays with us. He's compassionate. Why? Because he's been there. The Lord has compassion because he's been there. He understands. Secondly, the Lord has compassion because he sees our need. He sees it. Verse 2 and 3. I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from far. The Lord saw their need. He looked out on the multitude and he saw a multitude of people, thousands of people that had not eaten for three days. Can you all imagine what that environment must have been like? Think of Gordon Wood Stadium full of people that had not eaten for three days. Think anybody might have been hangry? Right? I mean, he's, he sees their need. They needed food. And if they didn't get it quickly, they would faint. He noted they had been with him for three days and that they needed food. And if they tried to go home, they would faint by the way. He understood the severity of the situation. And when you're going through a severe situation, a desperate situation... He understands the severity of it. He understands the desperation of it. He understands how monumental this is in your life. Have you ever had a child that is crying over something that is more or less insignificant in the grand scheme of things? But you know in that child's world that this thing that's happened is a really big deal? You know, you, uh, you go eat at Cracker Barrel and your child leaves her favorite teddy bear in the booth when you leave, and you get 15 minutes down the road, and they start realizing they left Teddy in the booth back at the Cracker Barrel. Are you going to turn around and go get Teddy? Yes. Is it, is it vital to your family's well-being that you go back and find Teddy? Maybe to get bring peace to the car, but long-term financial planning, maybe not so much. But in the eyes of this kid, they just lost their best friend. So out of your compassion, you turn the car back around, you go to Cracker Bell, and you say, please tell me you found a teddy bear in that booth. And there are stories like that with happy endings, and there are stories like that with unhappy endings. One of my favorite uh, long-distance dedications on uh, Casey Kasem's radio show was somebody whose child had left their stuffed duck at the Cracker Barrel, and they got down the road and realized they'd left it. They went to go back, and they couldn't find it. And that kid never found Ducky. And so the long-distance dedication was from the kid to Ducky, and the song was called, Where Are You Now? So, you know, and so to us, it's a big deal. To your child, it's a big deal, and it may not be a big deal in terms of your family planning and getting the mortgage paid off and getting the kids in college, but to your child, that's a big deal. And so you're compassionate on your child, aren't you? And our problems are bigger than Ducky. Our problems are bigger than Teddy. 
But in the grand scheme of eternity, how big are they really? But that's not even the question. The question is the Lord sees how big it is to you. He sees your need. He understands your need. He understands the severity of the situation. He sees you. And so he has compassion on you. And he ministers to you. Genesis chapter 16. We are told the story of Hagar. Hagar was Sarah's handmaid. Sarah was Abraham's wife. God had promised Abraham and Sarah a child. Abraham and Sarah are old. They're beyond childbearing years. Even in her childbearing years, Sarah was not able to have children. Whatever shall we do, Batman? That was her first mistake. They asked Batman and not the Lord. They came up with their own plan. They, um, They decided that instead of Sarah actually being the mother of the child, they would have Hagar be the mother of the child. And it would count as Sarah's child, and it would be Abraham's child. In ancient cultures, they did this. But just because it's something the culture does, doesn't mean it's something God does. So Hagar winds up becoming expectant with Abraham's child. And suddenly, when it was apparent that Hagar was going to have Abraham's child, suddenly Sarah's not okay with this anymore. And so Sarah is not happy with Hagar. And the Bible tells us that Sarah was despised in Hagar's eyes as well. Hagar is not happy with this arrangement. And so Sarah and Hagar get into it. And Hagar winds up getting run out of the house. And she runs off. And she's out in the wilderness. And this is a bad thing. Because servant girls did not fare well in the wilderness. She's got no protector. She's got no provider. Nobody there to hunt food for her. She can't grow food out there. What's she going to do? So she winds up by this well. Got some water. That's about the best she can do in that situation. And the Lord speaks to her. And the Lord comforts her and tells her to go back to Sarah. She's going to have a son. Everything's going to work out. The son's going to be a mighty hunter before the Lord. And she's going to be the mother of tribes, different tribes of people. And in Genesis 16, 13, the Bible tells us that Hagar called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. The Lord that sees me. The God that sees me. Here you have a servant girl. No one regards her. No one has any esteem toward her. No one's going to speak to her. No one is going to treat her with respect. Yet God speaks to her and says, I've got you taken care of. Nobody noticed her, but God noticed her. So she called God the God that sees me. You, God, see me. It doesn't matter how low you think you are. God sees you. He sees your need. And he has compassion on you. So in meeting the need of the multitude of people who needed to be fed, the Lord did something that he did not do for himself. He fed them. Christ has compassion on us because he sees our needs and he meets those needs. God understands your physical needs. He understands your need to be provided for. He understands your need to eat. He understands your need for clothing. 
That's why he said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, Consider the fowl of the air. They sow not, they reap not, but yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He said, Consider the lilies of the field. They don't, they don't toil, they don't spin, they don't design clothes, they don't sow, they don't do any of that. But yet he said even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of those lilies of the field. Y'all ever drive down the road during the springtime and see the blue bonnets? That's pretty, isn't it? A sea of blue across parts of Texas. I used to be a perpetual caretaker of a cemetery, and the rule was you never mowed the cemetery in the spring during blue bonnet season. Not until they had gone to full seed. And it was hard mowing them things after the color was gone and after they had gone to seed. They, that, those plants are thick. But we always let the blue bonnets run their course. It's a sea of blue with monuments calling our attention to those who have passed on before us. It's, it sounds morbid to say it like that, but it was really a, a beautiful poetic sight, really. Um, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, was not dressed up like one of them. The Lord understands your need. He says, you know, so take no thought what you shall eat or what you shall wear or wherewith you shall be clothed. He said, the Lord knows. God knows you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The Lord sees our needs. He's compassionate. And so he'll meet the need. What he wants us to do is to trust him to meet the need. But more importantly, the Lord sees your spiritual need. The most important need that you have is your spiritual need. And you know this. Because while you do worry about the finances, do we have enough to pay the power bill next month, the mortgage next month? Do we, maybe we're trying to figure out how to pay the power bill and the mortgage this month. Um, you know, how, do we have enough money to go around? It's school supply. It's back to school clothes shopping time. My coworker started talking about this week. Talking about that this week. I'm like, please don't, please don't talk about this. I've looked at our finances. <laughs> please don't talk about this. Is it a sin to let your kids wear the same thing next year as they wore last year? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about this stuff. The Lord understands the physical need. But at the end of the day, what keeps us up at night is our spiritual need. How are we doing? God sees that. And he meets that need. Your first and primary spiritual need is salvation. Your first and primary need at all, of all is salvation being reconciled to God being redeemed to God being restored to the family of God that's your first most pressing need to come to a saving knowledge of the truth to where you trust Jesus to receive you into heaven because he paid for your sins on the cross salvation is your primary need and the Lord saw your need for that he went to the cross and he continues to meet that need by continuing to minister in our lives your spiritual needs, maybe, you're, maybe you are saved, maybe your spiritual need is sanctification. There's a good spiritual word for you, isn't it? Sanctification. Have you been sanctified? You know what sanctification means? The New Leland Bible Dictionary. Sanctification means being brought further into God's presence. Now we can give all kinds of good definitions, stuff that Merriam-Webster would be proud of. But basically to be sanctified is to be in the Lord's presence. 
And the Lord works in our lives to bring us closer into his presence. He sees that need for us to be in his presence. And so to meet that need, Christ did something for you that he did not do for himself. He delivered you. Our Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross. And on that cross, he faced the wrath of God. We talk about the nails. We talk about the stripes. We talk about the beatings. We talk about the crown of thorns. We talk about the people mocking. We talk about these soldiers parting his garment and, 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 uh, and how they cast lots for his, for his coat, for his jacket, for his vesture, for all the good King James words. You know, everything, I mean, the whole experience was degrading and painful for Christ. And we talk about that. We get into that. We talk about what that must have felt like. The passion of Christ tried to give us a graphic portrayal of that in movie form, and it still didn't come close. And that was a pretty disturbing movie to watch. It was a pretty upsetting movie to watch for me. We talk about all that, but all of that, the physical suffering of Christ on the cross was chicken feed compared to the spiritual suffering he endured on that cross. Because when he hung on that cross... And he said those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't saying, oh God, my father, I'm hanging here in a painful place. Why don't you make it better? His relationship to God had changed in that moment. John chapter 17, Jesus told God the Father, you loved me before the world ever was. And I want these people, my people, our people, to be as unified as we are. That's Jesus praying. John chapter 17. He's hanging on that cross. He's no longer unified with God the Father. That is no longer a close loving relationship. What is happening on the cross that Jesus would cry out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Bible tells us. That when Jesus went to the cross, he became the propitiation or the payment for our sins. The Bible tells us that he endured the punishment for our sins. Isaiah 53, 11 says, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. What Jesus was doing as he hung on that cross was he was enduring the wrath of God for the sin of the world. The punishment... For the sins of the world were being laid on Christ in that moment. Yes, he is suffering physically. I don't want to downplay the fact that he suffered physically. He suffered physically. But he endured God's wrath so that he could deliver us from God's wrath. Christ could have delivered himself. The Pharisees were down at the bottom of the cross saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. He could have done it. He told Peter he could have said the word and this would all be over. He didn't do it. He didn't take deliverance. He didn't deliver himself. He did something for you. He did something for me that he did not do for himself. He delivered us. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God saw our need, was compassionate. Christ saw our need, was compassionate. And he took upon him, took upon himself 
the wrath of God on our behalf so that we could walk free. He saw that need, was compassionate, and he met that need. That's the compassion of Christ. You know, he's so compassionate that even after he did all that, he'll still worry about whether you've got food and clothing. That's how compassionate he is. He'll still worry about if the child can find their stuffed teddy bear at the, at the Cracker Barrel. That's how compassionate he is. One other reason Christ is compassionate. Christ has compassion because he sees our faith. In verse 2, Jesus said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days. That is an act of faith. To follow the Lord for three days without food, without provision. To go wherever he goes for three days. You've got crops in the field. There are fish in the sea that need to be caught. There, there are personal affairs that need to be tended to, but they're following Jesus for three days. That's faith. They left it all behind. God saw how the multitude followed him for those three days. He saw how they prioritized following him. And he saw that as faith. And he honored that. We preachers like to preach how our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We like to preach how nothing we do can add to the glory of God. How nothing we do can bring about more salvation to us. How everything that we have is by the grace of God. And how every, every blessing we have is by God's grace upon sinners. And that's true. That's true. Um, there's nothing we can do in and of itself that brings God glory or pleasure. What we do that brings God glory and pleasure are things that we do because we trust him. But God sees the fact that we trust him. You need the grace of God and the redemption of Christ in your life. But don't think for one second that God doesn't see your heart, the faith in your heart, and the works that you do by faith. We've talked about over the past several weeks loving like Jesus, right? We've talked about loving the unlovable. We've talked about loving even when it hurts. We've talked about how when there's a situation where anybody else in the world would want to jump and run, we continue. When we've got a loved one that's sick and we don't know if we can hang in there and take care of them anymore, but we keep going because we love them. And we know that God loved us in the same way. We continue with them. We've talked about how that love, loving like Jesus, and how we can apply that to our relationships, our marriages, our romantic relationships, our friendship, our fellowship with each other, our family relationships. We've talked about all that. Don't think for one second that God doesn't see it when you do that. When you honor him, when you trust him, when you're willing to surrender yourself for his honor and his glory, he sees that. And he has compassion on that. He sees these people following him for three days in the wilderness without food. He saw that. He had compassion on that. He didn't take that lightly. You go to the book of John, and Mary brings this bottle of expensive ointment. This is expensive stuff. Judah said they could have sold it for 300 pence. Do you know, do you know how much 300 pence is? That is almost an annual salary for a day laborer. So, it's still not a lot of money. Well, it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money. Probably would have been about $15,000 in today's money. Um, you think about that. She took this $15,000 bottle of perfume 
how she got that, I, I don't know. And she pours it on the feet of Jesus and washes Jesus' feet with her hair. And Judas, he just saw a really excellent love offering go out the window. <coughs> we could have sold that for $15,000 and just think of the ministry to the poor we could have had with that Jesus. And, of course, Judas is thinking, I would have got a 20% commission. The Bible actually said that Judas said that because he didn't care for the poor. He was a thief and he had the bag. He's thinking, oh, he can get out of it. But what did Jesus say? You always got the poor with you. There's always going to be poor people to feed. He said, but this woman has done this, you know, to prepare me for my burial. Mary knew what was coming. And she was showing her preparation for that and her faith in that. And Jesus said, this is going to be remembered for her for a memorial. John put that in the book. And she's going to be remembered forever for this. Jesus saw her faith and her love. It doesn't seem like a great thing to pour perfume on somebody's feet. It's, 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 it's a good thing, but I mean, you wouldn't think of that as being something that will be remembered forever. But it is. Why? Because Jesus saw the heart that was behind it. And he had compassion on her. He loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Had compassion on them. He sees your faith. He sees your desire to believe and your desire to follow. And he sees what you do as a result of that. And therefore he has compassion. We look at Jesus and we're learning more about Jesus in Mark chapter 8. And the book of Mark in general. And we're seeing the character of Jesus and by extension the character of God based on what Jesus did. And you look at Jesus and, and you see this man, this divine son of God. And he's compassionate. He's compassionate on people that nobody else has any regard for. Last week it was the Syrophoenician woman. This week it's the multitudes. He has compassion on everybody. He sees their need. He sees their faith. He sees your need. He sees your faith. He sees who you are and where you are in life. And he's been there and he knows it and he understands it. So he has compassion on, it, on you. Isn't this the kind of Lord you want to follow? Isn't this who you want to worship? Isn't this a Lord who is worthy of our faith and our trust?